Welcome to Tycoons of Small Biz, a podcast where small business owners are celebrated as the backbone of the American economy. Each week, we introduce you to tycoons who share their stories and advice so that small business owners may learn from their experiences. Tycoons is powered by Backbone Planning Partners and Pivotal Advisors. Join us now as our hosts connect you to today's tycoons. Good afternoon, tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I'm your host here, as always, Austin Peterson, coming to you live from the city of the Waste Management Open and Super Bowl this week. So we're excited to be in Phoenix. The weather is perfect. If you had any inkling about coming to to Phoenix this week, it would be a great week to be here. It's uh, 64 degrees right now. We're going to be kind of low to mid-70s this week for the Super Bowl and for the Waste Management Open. So Really, really perfect weather. Uh, If this is the first time that you're listening to our podcast and you're wondering what it is that we do here at Tycoons of Small Biz, we're a podcast that's put together by small business owners for small business owners. And it's really our job to highlight a new small business every week, let them tell their story, talk about their successes, talk about their failures, share some advice, maybe things that they would do differently uh, at this point in their career that they didn't do earlier in their career as a way to prop up the business owners here uh, in our country, but also to inspire other entrepreneurs and business owners or aspiring business owners to get involved in the business owner community and to continue to drive that that, uh, backbone of the American economy here in the country. So with that being said, this is uh, this is 140 something episode. I don't remember exactly which which episode. We've been doing it for almost three years now. We definitely have a tycoon on the program with us today. Somebody that I would consider a kindred spirit. We've gotten to know each other a little bit uh, over uh, you know some different phone calls and Zoom meetings that we've had. We've got Eric Cruz, founder and CEO of Cruz and Co, coming to us from Braintree, Massachusetts today. I believe Eric, welcome to the program. Thank you, Austin. I appreciate you having me. I appreciate yeah, being I on the 140th show. Yeah, thank That's a you. Lot of shows. <laughs> yeah, it's been essentially every week, unless it really, you know, like it was really close to Christmas or you know something like that. We started on Cinco de Mayo 2020, and and we've gone strong ever since. All right, good for you. Good for you. Yeah, yeah. So I tell you, I've been I've been reading on the news about how deathly cold it's been over the last week in the Northeast. Has that been the case for you where you are? Uh, it's it's slightly colder than than Arizona. Slightly today, actually, it's probably in the, in the high twenties. So we're in probably twenty eight degrees. But uh, we have a ski house in Waterville Valley, New Hampshire, and the feels like temperature on Saturday. I'm not kidding you. Like I think was negative thirty six. I think that you are both smart and a tycoon. I am uh, <laughs> not on that side of it. Well, I tell you, it's so I saw like a news blip and I forget. I want to say Mount Washington. Is that a, is that a mountain in oh, New yeah, Hampshire? Yeah. What was it? Negative. What, what was it? What was the temperature? It was. I think they cold. said negative 105 with the wind chill is what they were experiencing. I think up that beat, beat the record by some stupid amount, too. I mean, it's it's cold. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, yeah. Um, we can see we can see uh, Washington from our from our condo in New Hampshire. It's uh, it's stunning. It it. it Peers out over the rest of the mountains. It's a beautiful snow-capped thing, and uh, it's nice, but it is brutal for weather. It, there's some stat you can Google it about it being the craziest weather in the United States or something, but it is. Um, it's nuts. It's a tough spot, and you know yeah. that's cool. 
Well, yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm not assuming that you listened to last week's episode, but last week I happened to have been in Salt Lake City for some other meetings. And so we recorded with me being up there and the Airbnb that I had rented was over somebody's garage, three big three car garage. It's a million plus dollar house, you know, nice home, nice apartment. But those pipes must have been exposed and it got down below zero overnight. And when I got up in the morning to take a shower my first morning, there was no water. So Utah is notoriously cold consistently in the wintertime, depending on where you are. Like that place is known for being frigid. Um, yeah. They're also right now are known for having great ski conditions. So, um, yeah, 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 fun, fun. Yeah, we, we did not ski this time or really I, I would never ski. I've, I'm, I've been snowboarding for 35 years or so uh, of my life. And so I'm, I'm a snowboarder born and bred, but uh, did not do that this time. We did go snowshoeing at Sundance and you know, I spend a lot of time there. I grew up there. My my parents or my mom, my pat, my dad passed away in August. My mom still lives there. Um, and driving up to Sundance, it was the most snow that I had seen in that canyon in a very long time. Yeah. So I haven't been there, but um, I've been to Colorado. I've skied there. It's um, it's on the list. And we have a we have a big ski family. So I have a lot of uh, my daughter races and um, a lot of friends that cycling out of Utah all the time. So it's on the list. Um, I broke my leg skiing last year. Uh, badly. I actually broke the, um, my tibia plateau, which is kind of the joint. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's interesting. It, uh, it's interesting. I always take as a, you know, as a consultant, I kind of try and take lessons out of things in life that happened to me. And I'm 52 years old and I'm a runner. So I'm a longtime runner. I've run Boston like eight times and for charity mm. for Dana Farber. So big shout out to Dana Farber. But um, it's interesting because although I spend a lot of time skiing uh, and my daughter races, our daughter races, um, it's uh, I was skiing relatively aggressively. And but it's not a high priority uh, sport to me. So it's something I do for fun. And in hindsight, I ended up breaking my leg. And, it, and the first thing my surgeon told me was I would never run. I'd never run again if I were you. And, you know, I mean, I've done all this crap. I've done all this endurance racing. I've done four Ironmans. I've done Boston a bunch of times and, you know, tons of all the rest of the stuff. It's how I blow off steam. It's how I reduce my anxiety. Yeah. And uh, I looked at him and I'm like, he said, I'm not kidding you. He said, I would never do it again. Now, fortunately, I went to a PT person and they said, I know they told you that. And he's prob probably right, but we can get you running again. And we can, you're going to need a new knee anyway with your injury. So you might as well just gut it out. And it's probably better for your arthritis if you do run. So regardless of that, though, what I didn't think about, and, you know, getting older helps with wisdom. I didn't think about the fact that I was unintentionally making a decision to prioritize the risk of a, I was doing a lower priority sport that was risky. When in hindsight, I would never, I shouldn't have done that. Like a lot of people are, they're like, you know, you shouldn't ski if you're a big runner because chances are you getting hurt. I, I guess if I looked at life that way, I wouldn't be. I've been an entrepreneur for the last 30 years of my life, but it's so obvious now. It's like, you know, you didn't care that much about skiing. You knew you were going to get hurt, and now you jeopardize something that you do care a whole lot about. You know, and I have friends of mine stopped skiing because of my injury. They said, that's it. We don't need that. We just needed that sign. So, but I did go, I did go skiing a couple of weeks ago, and, and it's, it's awesome. It's fun. So, and I've never snowboarded, simply because everybody tells me that if you're going to snowboard, you have to get through these three days of injuries and now i'm just now i'm just too old i'll just fall over and, and smash i have plates, plates and all this kind of stuff 
So more power to you. Yeah, no, I, I, the way I explain it to people, again, I, I've been doing it since I was about 13 years old. So 35 ish, ish years, you know, and uh, the first couple of days on a snowboard are rough. Now the first couple of days on a, on skis can be rough too, but you know, you're doing the pizza, French fry pizza, right. you know, you know, as you learn and you can kind of stay upright. So first couple of days are brutal. You do fall a lot. You hit your wrists a lot. You land on your butt a lot. You kind of, you know, whip, whip your head back, those sorts of things. But if you can stick it out for those couple of days, you have the ability to be a much better snowboarder quicker than skier. It, I think it takes a much longer time to become a really good skier than it does to become a really good snowboarder. So there must be a script that all of you have that says exactly what you just told me because every single snowboarder says that they said, you got these three days and you got to get through it and you're going to fly the backwards and you're going to fly forward. And then you're going to get really better quickly and you're going to be great. And all I ever hear when I hear that story is, is these three days. And I just think I can't do it. I can't do it. Uh, and then of course I go out and snap my knee out. So, um, but yeah, fun, fun. Yeah. Well, I had the advantage of doing it at 13 or 14 when, you know, it's it's different. If I were learning today, I, I'd probably be on the same side as you. I wouldn't want to have to go through those three days. All right. Well, let's let's jump into to kind of what we're here for. Before we jump into the business side, you know, obviously we know that you like to run, do endurance races. That's something we have in common. It's the way I blow off steam. I'm actually training for a half Ironman right now. Fun. Um, yeah, going to do it. So we're trying to narrow it down. We thought about doing um, St. George, but it's going to be too early and poorly timed because my son gets married that same month. It's May. Yeah. And so I think we're going to do Memphis, which is in September or October. So have you been to St. George? Oh, yeah. I've done the St. George Half Ironman before. It's brutal. Oh, you have. So yeah. my best friend... Um, did the world the half Ironman world champion right world championships last year yep. and I went to that to support him uh, and I'm certainly not at that level you know I'm a uh, I'm a I'm I'm really a grinder so I think I'm like a 13 hour Ironman person so he is a uh, 10 hour Ironman person or nine hour Ironman person about about 10 hours but he qualified for for the half Ironman worlds so I went there to support him and I go out there and, you know about October whenever it was September man it's interesting. I've never seen so many fit people. I've done a lot of races like, like you have, right? But when you go to these things that are, that are closed that are, or that are open like we do, like the age groupers, you see people that are kind of all different shapes and sizes, look like me, and, you know, but not, not at the half Ironman or World Championships. That look, looks like a men's health and a women's health catalog out there. It was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah it, it's crazy. It's actually the first half Ironman distance race that I did. I want oh. to say it was 2011. Oh, you're in, and, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, it was the first year that it was actually a world qualifier, right? And so you got these pros that show up and you're, you know, you're racking your bike, getting everything ready the night before, and you're walking past these $20,000 bikes, you know, and I'm, I, I just can't bring myself to spend that money. Whether I have it or not, I just, I can't do it, right? Yeah. But you got all the nice bikes. They're obviously taken off first, but the weather was brutal, meaning the wind was just terrible the morning of the race. And I don't remember the exact number, but a dozen-ish pros 
pulled out and said, I'm not doing this. They got, they got on the bike. They were going, they'd gone maybe 10 miles and they're like, Nope, forget it. We were there. So that's, I'm not surprised. So you and I started around the same time. We should probably get started Austin. We could probably talk for three hours doing this stuff. (laughs) But uh, you and I got started around the same time. So I think I started around nine or 10 I couldn't swim a stroke. Like I couldn't swim a stroke. Um, That's another long story. But uh, we have a blog post on that somewhere. But I, when I went to the same as you, so I went to spectate this thing in Utah in uh, you know last year, and the course already is like I don't know who's listening. If anybody's listening as uh, an Ironman or or, a, or just a triathlete, even a sprint triathlete, you want to go to St. George, that place is nuts. Like that course is brutal. So not only is it brutal, uh, and you know you start that run vertically like that run is a straight shot uphill for two miles in the middle of the bike ride they had a massive hailstorm, and it was hailing and thundering and i went inside the merchandise tent and i thought it's like wizard of oz i was like this sucker's gonna get ripped off it's gonna be iron man gear shooting everywhere all over utah and all i kept thinking was my buddy's out there you know on his bike with his zip 808 wheels on there and i'm just thinking he's gonna like launch it's 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 terrain, but I tell you, the next day I woke up. I was training for Boston. Must have been two years ago. It was in, was in the last year. Boston was in October. I think it was two years ago. And I woke up the next day and I did a uh, I did a twenty mile run, and I ran out of out of wherever that was, St. George, in pitch black. And I ran and I didn't know where I was going because I'd never been there before. I just kind of directionally knew I wanted to go up because that was the direction you had to go up. And then I knew I that there was a long stretch. So I just I ran to 10 miles, pitch black, headlamp. I ended up basically in the valley and looked and then and then the sun came up. It was like it was like inspiring. So the sun comes up just as I was turning around, then I turned back to run around. And I hadn't looked backwards, and the sun literally was kind of coming up the same time I was getting ready to do my turnaround to run backwards down the hill, another 10 miles. And you just looked around and it was just this, I don't even know how to describe it. Like the camera would not have done it justice. You're just surrounded by these red hills, and it was it was gorgeous. Uh, yeah. So when I was out there, I was thinking, you know, this is a lot of reason these athletes come out here, and it was stunningly beautiful. So good for you. Yep. I wouldn't yeah, do the no. Ironman though. There, I wouldn't do that. Good luck. Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Last thing I'll tell you about that is is. First of all, on the Utah front, I tell people all the time when I when I meet them and they've never been to Utah, you have to go. You have to visit northern Utah for the, you know, the purple mountains majesty that you sing about. Yep. That is northern Utah. And then those red rocks in southern Utah, they're they're just all of it is stunning. You have to visit the state of Utah. It's insane. I, I agree with you. You just don't. We did. We went to uh, South Dakota for a family trip a couple of years ago. And, you know, I'm kind of, I'm an, I'm an East Coaster. And East Coasters and West Coasters tend to think the world rotates around us, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, because that's just the way the feeling is. But then you go out and see the rest of the country and you realize, you know, this is a little bit more actually what, like, the songs are written about. Like, this is beautiful. There's just so many beautiful areas of the country that aren't touched, honestly, by lots of people. Um, so, well, good, wherever you end up, good luck. Have fun. Yeah. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. So last thing I'll say on the Ironman front um, is 
and we'll tie this into the business side of things. And you, you know, you talk about it. It, 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 it it's a stress reliever for you. It's an anxiety reliever for you. It, it is for me too. But the business lessons that are there to just to just grind it out, right. I, I think are humongous, right? And it, and it's tough. I mean, I told you I did that <laughs> that half Ironman. I don't remember exactly where I was. I want to say mile forty eight ish on the bike, um, and I come up this little hill. And the wind was, like I said, the wind was just blowing so hard. And my wife is there and my two kids are there and they were eight and 11 at the time. And they're ringing these cowbells, you know, that they bought the Ironman cowbells. And I ride past my wife and she says, how you doing? And I, and I, I well up with tears. And even thinking about it now, I, I still well up with tears. And I go, I don't know. <laughs> like, I was I was in pain. It was a struggle, but you just keep pedaling, right? And I tell you, there's there's a lot of lessons that can be taken from an Ironman that are applied to business. You know, it, it's tough sometimes. You want to cry sometimes. You want to give up sometimes. But if you just keep pedaling, you're going to go a little bit further. You're going to go up around this corner, and you're going to see these beautiful red rocks that you're about, which becomes the worst part of the race actually because it's about three miles with a big grade up up the hill on the on the bike but if you just keep going you will get to that point where you see the beauty and and you can you know kind of see the the forest for the trees so to speak and continue to find success it, it's interesting and i agree with you it's at one point seven or eight years ago you know because i've been in business in the business my whole life you know as you as you have um at one point, I would have said, people used to ask me, why do you do all these races? And I would have said, because it reminds me that I can do whatever, whatever, nothing, that everything's possible, typical Ironman, you know, slogan. Um, and I would have said, that's probably the main reason I did it, because it reminds me if I can do this, then I can do anything. It has changed. My perception on it has changed over time. Um, and although I still believe all that, 100%, it's really changed more to me. To me, to me, it's part of, if I don't do that, if I don't focus, if I don't do that a certain amount of hours per week, I can't run my business, honestly. Uh, so when I, it, it, I can't, I have too much anxiety. The anxiety drives my business. It also screws up my head in my case. So people ask me like, why do Ironmans? Because uh, I did four Ironmans over about six or seven years. And I said, well, I have, you know, it helps me reduce my anxiety and it helps me, you know, and they're like, well, so would, you know, a 10K. I said, I have Ironman level anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> And it's the truth. So it, um, but it's, it, it, you were correct. It's so many parallels. And I just did, you know, my doctor said I'd never run again. And, you know, I'm a typical entrepreneur. Tell me I can't do something and I'm going to do it, even if, you know, it's the worst thing for me. I got a great PT person and I just did a half, half marathon in, uh, in January. And I ran a pretty good pace, actually. But it was interesting because, because I lost all the muscle in my leg. I, you know, I didn't quite get the time I wanted to get. But I did it, and I was thankful. Um, but I, I really haven't done so many races at this point. It's just like business. I, 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 exa I got exactly the time. I got exactly the time that my training uh, would dictate that I should have gotten. You know, and I look at people like, well, you could have done faster. No, I couldn't. You know, these races are all about the many races. They're all about the training you did and didn't do beforehand. And I had said I wanted like a. I've, you know, I've done like 30 half marathons. So I, I say, I know when I deserve a faster time and I know when I don't deserve a faster time. 
And um, I don't deserve faster time than I got. And I got exactly the time I probably deserved. And I was thankful. So it's like business. A lot of times, you know, if you're giving it all, sometimes it always doesn't always give it back. But if you're not giving it all, it definitely gives you that back. So it um, hopefully you get what you give. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. So let's uh, let's talk about what we're here to talk about. So Cruise & Co., what, what does Cruise & Co. do? How long has it been around? What do you guys do for, for business owners? Yeah, so it's a great question. So we're, we're a small and medium-sized business consulting firm, and we focus on three things. We focus on um, helping companies grow revenue, helping them grow profitability, and helping them grow valuation. So we have an operating system called the Growth Method, and we go in and align the leadership team uh, on their 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 North Star, their, their big, big, hairy, audacious goal, if you want to call it that. Uh, their three-year vision, their one-year, and their 90-day vision. We get them on the same page. Um, we work with leadership teams. They work with the entire company. And we use a system called uh, OKRs, Objectives and Key Results. So if anybody's read the book called Measure What Matters, that's really our, kind of our whole life. We get, we get OKRs in there. And we focus on four quadrants with the companies. We focus on their operations, making sure they're operationally smooth. So we have a team of consultants that focus on uh, scorecards and uh, meetings and make sure they run good meetings and make sure they the right people in the right seats, all those nice cliches. And then really making sure they have the right priorities set across the organization. Then we focus on their finances. And we have a separate finance company of controllers and bookkeepers and CFOs. We want to make sure they nail their finance function because we're very focused on profitability. And then we, we're very focused on, on, on people and we're very focused on strategy. So we focus on people, operations, finance, and strategy. And then we measure the companies on a quarterly basis. Are they actually winning? Are they not winning? Sometimes we'll invest in the companies. We work with companies that really range from a couple million dollars or even a million dollars up to uh, half a billion dollars. And we help them get what they want financially. So you're helping them get, you know, helping out with their wealth management and figuring out their numbers and all that kind of stuff. We're trying to make sure that they can have a vision to achieve that, you know, that that journey. They want to make, we're helping them with the inputs into that journey, helping them make the profit. You know, are they a cash flow business? We try to help them identify that. Are we going to sell this business at some point in time? If so, what's our strategy for that? We're focused on target market and all that stuff. But unlike a couple of things that are unlike, you know, almost any of our competitors, one, we go and work with a company, we work with the leadership team first, but then our consulting team will actually work with the entire company. So if it's 100 employees, we work with all the levels of management in the entire business, and we will do it. We help them if they want to do that on their own, but we can do the whole company. So we work with the entire company, top to bottom, um, and we're one of the only small, medium-sized business consulting firms, um, period, really. And we have about 105 companies you work with across the U.S. and into Canada, uh, and we're really pretty full service. So we have the system that they need. We hold ourselves accountable to their results. And then we have the resources they need to. We partner with all kinds of different vendors and we have internal service offerings to make sure they can get there. So if our companies are increasing revenue and they're increasing their valuation, they're increasing their profitability, then we're doing something right. And that's what we're focused on. So entrepreneurship has been, you know, I have a, I have a couple of regular companies also, in addition to just being a consultant. Um, I got into this by accident through volunteering. Uh, and then it just grew into a bigger business. Um, so entrepreneurship is kind of my life and I, and I love it. I love entrepreneurs and it's really is my life. Uh, so that's us. There's probably just, I think we have, I don't even know what our headcount is right now. We probably have 25, 30 employees that work here, something like that. Um, 
And we have consultant people. That's what business we specialize in. Not none really. We focus on tech companies, service companies. We work with all kinds of different firms. But I will say that if a company wants to work with us, they have to really want to go for it. And I'm sure you deal with this all the time. They have to really want to be going for whatever it is they're going for. If it's you know making 500 grand a year or making you know selling for 100 million dollars, whatever their target is, or 10 million dollars, they have to really be committed to that. And they have to also really kind of, they usually come to us with an assumption of vulnerability almost. Like that has to be part of the rule book for them because we go into work with a company and we're not politicians. In fact, we would, we would lose every election. We're the, we're the opposite. We are, we are tacticians. So we get in there and say, we almost look at the leadership team and say, we want you to succeed no matter what. So we kind of cut to the chase. Where are we wrong? Where are we off? Where are we sideways? Our clients tell me, they tell me they're like, Eric, you're like, you're like a root canal. Like we need it. It's really helpful and has amazing results, but sometimes it's painful. And that's yeah. us. Our companies are our family, honestly. Um, and we care a tremendous amount about them. Um, but it is, it is done from a position of vulnerability. Uh, and, uh, you know, so we work with a lot of companies. Yeah. That's us. Yeah. No, I think I think that's great, and you know I've I've been uh, accused of being the same way many times in my career. Um, <laughs> I get you know, I mean, with what we do, so we, I mean, most people assume that if say I'm a financial advisor, I'm a financial planner, right? You know, whatever. It's okay. You handle my investments, or you sell me life insurance, right? That that's kind of the way that they that we're viewed by a consumer. Right. And so we will have, I think of a meeting that we had maybe six months ago, referral, and we get on this Zoom meeting with him and he says, okay, so what kind of return can you get me? And I said, if that's what you're looking for and what you believe that we do, yeah, we can end the call now that you're, you're not in the right place. Yeah. Well, what else do you do? I mean, that's, that's your job. No. So, yeah, and you know, I discussed this. So, um, and I went and poked around on your website in, in detail too. I looked at your offering and looked at your charge for it. Love that you have all that stuff on your website. It's awesome. So, if anybody hasn't seen it, you should go look at it. Uh, no, thank you. So it's, um, but and you know, and, I've, and as I've already told you, and you're a you're a help first person. We we're a consulting firm. We have resources for you know our consultants or for our clients, really from start to finish, like at whatever size they are. And one of the things that we identified that we needed really early in our game was partnering with somebody who did wealth management. And uh, this is your show, so I certainly won't manage them. And I told you, there's an, as you already know, there's a thousand of people that are similar to you out there. But my point to you is, you know, is there listening once again? It's not a plug for you because, like I said, we work with we work, we're in Boston. I work with somebody who's around here that we think is phenomenal and has been a great partner for us. We would never, I would never, ever Ever. And we make no money with that that person at all as, as a partnership. I love telling people that because um, it's just we just we, we're so passionate about what they provide and the wealth that they help our clients create. So I tell them, like, look, I can help you get wealthy. Our team members can help you get wealthy. But I don't even know what that is for you. And I guarantee you, you don't either. Like you think it's 100 million or 5 million or 1 million. That could be wrong, wrong and wrong and wrong. And you also may not even have what it takes to make $100 million. And you may actually go nuts making $100 million. And that may be a really stupid goal for you. And honestly, I don't know what you're going to bypass the first 10 anyway. So you got to really think about what you're risking along that journey. So the reason we partner with wealth management 
is I don't think unless they have a perspective of the end game uh, financially that they can start the journey with as much purpose. So we try and get our people to work with somebody in wealth management very quickly because the wealth management person can help them do the planning backwards. And that's, that's the business. That's the, that's the risk. That's everything that goes with it. And that's a big deal. And it's interesting. I think I told you this, the, uh, I have a couple of regular businesses and, and I have partners in those businesses. And um, I had a really interesting epiphany that a couple of years, a, a couple of years ago, my partner in one of the companies said, you know, I'm 52 and he's 40, 42. He's 42. Well, he's been working with me for 20 years. Um, and he's a COO and he's phenomenal at his job. But, you know, we don't, we have an Ironman life. It's like, he's been running for a long time. He's like, Eric, pooped. So he says, I want to get out. And I said, great, when? And he said, when I'm 50. So I said, okay. And the minute he said that, now I never think about that. So I'm like every other stupid entrepreneur. Like I should actually hire us because I'm, I am the worst entrepreneur, honestly. <laughs> so I hadn't think, I hadn't thought about all this. We call it eating our own dog food. You know this expression, right? So the, he says this. And I, so immediately I'm thinking, ah, oh. so I trust him implicitly. I, like I trust him with, with, with my, with my kids. Like he's amazing. So he wants to go out. I'm never going to say anything like, no, no, no. We're making a fortune, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, all right, great. How much? And he said, here's my number. And it wasn't huge. He's like, it's, you know, it wasn't small, but it wasn't huge. He said, that's my number. And I said, well, we're 50, 50 partners in that business. And I said, Okay, if you're done, then I'm done too. That's fine. I'll be out too. And I'll get the same amount as you. And that's it. There's a flag. And he's like 50 years old. I said, done. And then by just calling that number of wealth out for him, which is really important to him, I can care less. Like I look at it like, you know, make a lot, don't make a lot, lose money. You know, I've been through it all. It wasn't that important to me to set that flag, but by him setting that flag, it changed our entire way we ran our company instantly. First, it gave me permanence. Like I, I, it gave me a feeling of lack of permanence. I looked at it and said, oh, man, we got eight years left. Like entrepreneurs dream and dream and dream until they're like dead, right? I'm pretty sure every entrepreneur is laying on their deathbed saying, I'm going to do the following thing next quarter. I'm the same way. But when he said that, now it's over. So now I got to say, well, now if it's over, how am I gonna, what are we going to do? So all this dreaming, which is basically kicking the can in a lot of ways, was now just, all right, what's our valuation theory then? What's, what, what are we trying to sell this thing for? What's our actual valuation theory? And then we started to look at the business. And this we have we own a commercial painting company together, and it's not small. It's a, it's certainly north of $10 million. So it's not a small business. And we looked at it like, well, we're trying to grow it to a big number. I think we picked, I think we picked like 30 million or something. So we said, all right, so we're gonna grow it to this number. And then we looked at it and I called my valuation guys. I called my M&A team and they're like, dude, that business is, is, is a piece of crap. Like it's a commercial painting business. It's worth like 0.5 if you're lucky on rev. And I said, okay. And, I'm, and that's not a small number, by the way. So I'm not trying to diminish that by all, you know, but I'm realistic about what I own and what I don't own. So I own a commercial painting company. And I think, and that's really important to me. We tell clients, I'm like, look, you ain't having a big exit on a cash flow business. Like it's not. You know, you go out there and do the research and prove me wrong. So it, it, he says that, and I'm like, oh, my God, you're painfully accurate. So then we say we need a new strategy. So then we say, well, what's unique in the market? And then we pick we pick a couple of different avenues, which we're testing right now. And now we have a theory. We have a theory that if we do this and we do this, 
we might pick up 0.25 to 0.3 on the valuation. We can get to that number. We need to get EBITDA for about trailing three years, which is six years from now, five years from now, four years from now, um, four and a half years from now. So now I'm like, oh my God, what are we going to do? So now, because I started backwards, I'm in like a near panic. I'm like, we got to get EBITDA to this number, to have evaluation in this number. And then how are we going to do that? And then we started to go into all the strategizing around that. We hired a really big player, key player to come on and help us with that. But if he hadn't said he was going to retire in eight years, it, we probably, I guarantee we picked up 30, 30% growth on the business and certainly a better strategy because he made that statement. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it's interesting. So you said you, you asked him what his number was. First thing that my mind goes to, did he just pick that number out of the air? Right. Or does he have a number that says, this is what you need to be able to retire at that age comfortably yeah. and live for the rest of your life. So Very I am a, know that, right? So I am a disciple of your process, by the way. Like I'm a firm <laughs> believer, and this is not a commercial. The first thing I said was, I said, Chris, you're gonna need you need to get some help because I don't even know how much that is for you and how much it's not. I have no idea. Um, yeah. although it lives in New Hampshire's house probably costs like 20 bucks. But I don't know how much money that is to you, but <laughs> I think. We need to figure it out. And he's like, you know, he does well financially. And he says, uh, I said, look, what's your retirement? And he's a 40, he's like 42. He said, well, it's kind of like this. I'm like, you're a mess. You got three kids. You got to figure out your colleges. You got to figure this out. And it's, it's and then it's some huge number like every month. And he's like, oh my God. I say, well, wait 10 years from now and see what happens. See how big the number is. That's, that's what I did. And like I waited like five more years past where you are. So he then went and started working with a wealth manager person. Uh, our person, and then, um, and that was then we're off to the races. That's what he had to validate. You're right, because it 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 really became smoke and mirrors. And he yeah. was even as smart as he was. Like I started asking him questions because I have experience in what you do to some degree, and uh, the answer was he didn't have any of that stuff. And he's super sharp. And it's not my experience. And I'm beating like I, I don't mean to be your infomercial here, but. I don't think the business owners look at their, especially small businesses, and I don't care how small they are, million dollars, 500, whatever the number is in revenue. They don't look at their business as being an asset. I, I tell people, I said, look, you got two different financial worlds. You have your business and then you have your life and they need to be separate. Like you, you, you need to have a run an amazing business. But first you could have it like, like you could like randomly get hit by a bus, not, not to use the analogy, but if the whole, all your business wealth, wealth in your business, first of all, I hope that you have some kind of will or something that people know how to actually dissect that mess. That's problem one, right? Like if the hope the bus, if the thing takes you out completely and you can't even like say a few words in a napkin, you got to have something behind you that you can tell people what's going on. But regardless, you have to, to separate that between your personal wealth, which you got to be tracking somewhere and your business wealth. And ultimately your business wealth has to feed into your personal targets or I don't know what you're doing it for. So we're focused on money, you know, and we had to pick, we have some people that are, you know, we, 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 we considered, you know, a, a thing about focusing on people's lives and making them smile and all that stuff. And we, we do those things. Like I hope people smile that work with us, but we picked money. We said we're focused on revenue valuation uh, and profitability and that's it. So I say, look, I, I you can give all your money away if you want, you can give it all to charity if you want but we have to be working with you towards a purpose that fulfills your financial targets or I don't see what the purpose is. And I also can't score keep your business because I think that's the output of the success of your business. 
And um, so we had to lean in on that. We picked that we we're going to focus on dollars and therefore your seat is the personal side of that equation and is often the business side of that equation as well. But yeah. um, if we don't line it up, I don't, I don't see a point. And people are telling me, they're like, that person has all this money. They must be happy. And I say, never look at somebody and, and understand, never guess how much money they make. Number one, you're probably going to be wrong. Uh, and and you, you don't know their finances. Like you don't figure out your finances. Your number could be this number and you could be ha- ha- happy. And if you don't have the risk tolerance to do X, Y, and Z, you'd be stupid to try and even go above and beyond your number. Like pick your number. You're happy. Now you have business owners. I can tell you stories that like, they haven't sold because they wanted this instead of this. And I said, well, what's your number? And they actually had done the work. I said, well, my number's here. And our financial guy's like, look, your number's here. The offer's here. And you want this. And I don't mm-hmm. even know what this is even for. And there's no other number that's going to get us this. So, yes, it could be worth this. But you already know that this is it. So you deal with this, right? That's all this head trash and nonsense. So you got to kind of get it all to line up. That's what we're focused on. Yeah, no, and and I mean we're definitely on the same page there. Whether whether they're working with somebody that does what you do, and and we've talked about this a little bit. We we do some of what you do. I would call it like a light version of what you do, right? With these oh, businesses, sure yeah, yeah. But what I would tell any business owner is, if first of all, what you just said is treat their business like an asset, not a job, right? Yes. Yes. And so if, if you're really going to sell it at some point, it's got to be treated as an asset or an investment. But you've got to figure out what amount you want to sell that business for and at what date. Right. Yes. And then work backwards the same way that exactly. you just talked about. Exactly. And when they do that, the aha for me in that moment was I'm not a listener. I got uh, really bad. You know, with the clients, 100%. With clients, I'm actually a hyper listener. In my own life as a human being, not really. So uh, people told me that. I probably wrote blog articles about that, about what you just said, about picking number. But I didn't do it. I sat through meetings facilitated by my team and still picked a number. But until for whatever reason, my VP said, I'm leaving on this date. I didn't actually pick it. I just say it. Yeah. I call it quarterly meeting talk. So people say shit. And, you, know, you can bleep that out. People say stuff <laughs> in quarterly meetings that uh, I'm like, is that real or is that quarterly meeting like BS? Because I don't think that's real. And I've done a lot of that in my career. And um, so I was lucky. And and it's funny. I didn't. There was no pushback at all. It was because he gave me that gift. He said, I'm going to give you a gift. He says, you're never going to slow down, which is probably true. He says, but I am. Uh, and he says, that's a date. And he says, and I know you can convince me otherwise, but we, you know, we don't really need to. And he said, that's the date. And that was a huge gift. It was a learning experience for me to how something feels when you're forced to do it. And I just kind of just, I kind of let it soak in and uh, leaned into it and, uh, I'm real grateful for that, uh, for that gift. Yeah. The, the whole idea, though, is that you're not forced into it. Let's just plan it right the first way. Correct. Take the stress out of it for everybody and give everybody a target to work towards. So yes. let's uh, let's take a quick break. We'll, we'll give you an opportunity to take a drink and uh, we'll hear a quick call to action for our listeners. And then we'll jump back in and talk a little bit more. 
Hey there, tycoons. Austin Peterson here, co-host of Tycoons of Small Biz. If you think you have what it takes to be considered a tycoon and you're wondering how you could become a featured guest, please follow and then message us at Tycoons of Small Biz on LinkedIn. We'd love to have a conversation with you to see if it is a mutually good fit. And if so, we'll get you scheduled for an interview. If you're unsure about being a guest on our podcast, but are contemplating selling your business over the next few years and you'd like to know what your business is worth, please also follow us and then message us on LinkedIn for your no obligation, informal valuation of your business. We look forward to hearing from you and thanks for listening to the Tycoons of Small Biz podcast. And now back to today's program. All right, Tycoons, Austin Peterson here with Eric Cruz, Cruz & Co. out of Braintree, Massachusetts. We've unpacked uh, quite a bit already. We've we've spent a lot of time talking about uh, Ironmans and and the importance of those things in our lives, but we did tie it back into the business aspects of that. And then we've talked about the importance of kind of knowing what your number is and and, uh, building to that. So, Eric, I want to I want to ask, you know, you you've been doing this a long time on the on the consulting side. You've also been, you know, you're you're an entrepreneur yourself with other separate businesses. And so, first question I have for you is what are some of the biggest mistakes that you've seen small businesses and medium-sized businesses make as they grow and scale their business? And then I also want to hear from you on on a scale of 1 to 10 how difficult your own entrepreneurial journey has been. Oh, that's a, the second one's an emotional question. So I'll give you the answer to the second one first, and then I can give you some color if we have time. Um, my entrepreneurial journey, if I look at it as a macro, is probably a, a, a 10 in terms of quality, in terms of where I am. There have been times in my entrepreneurial journey, and, and you know, that, uh, you know you don't always see this stuff. There have been times, and I mean years, in my journey that have been and twos in terms of uh, difficulty level, or I should say tens in terms of level of difficulty. Stories that uh, are very, very, very challenging. Um, so it, uh, as I always joke to my clients, if I ever tell you not to do something, definitely don't do it. Uh, Cause I'm telling you that for a reason. So, you know, I tend to learn things in extreme ways. Um, so when I get into trouble or I make mistakes, it tends to be, not usually a quarterly type situation. It's like, oh yeah, I'm stuck with this one for six months or a year. And then there's just, you know, I've had situations in my journey that are just plain bad luck. And it happens. And I don't use the word luck. I think maybe you might hear me say that once every five years, Uh, but it happens. And, you know, so my journey, uh, which I'm extremely grateful for, and I do believe in the business gods. So I hope to hear the 10 quality rating first, but there have been times when it's been really, really, really hard. And uh, I share that with my clients. And I tell people that a lot because I think that you read these books and you're like, that looks difficult. And I say, I tell people, I said, look, we give a lot of advice in entrepreneurship and it sounds so cliche, but whoever's running a business, like you're going to have days. And I always, I always joke and I say, I shoot for four out of seven to be awesome in a given week and three are just difficult. And then one out of day, a day a week, sometimes two. Or maybe, maybe, you know, maybe a little less now, um, are just like, make it like, I'm going to sleep like this, make it end. And then I think a lot of entrepreneurship is just honestly, when your body tells you, you just shouldn't do this anymore. It's just to give it an extra day. And a lot of my life has been defined by that. It's like, and I can tell and some of the things I've been through have been so difficult that I'm just, and I thought to myself, this is where a typical person would just say, screw it. 
And if I, and I have this belief that if I keep going, then it'll be worth it. And that has been a lot of my life. So yeah, yeah. You have, we have a podcast around things not to do in business. Uh, and I can make it, you have to have four or five episodes for that. I could fill that one up. <laughs> so the other question you asked was about, I believe was about things, uh, mistakes I see people make or things that um, I recommend, correct? Yeah. Okay, so there's two or what I would do with my younger self. So um, I'll give the first one and then I'll tell you the biggest problem I see companies make. There's a few, there's, there's like I would call it some big killers. But I'll say the biggest problem, and I think it's also one of the hardest things that, that companies need to make as they scale, whether it's from solopreneur, so much bigger, same stuff. But if I could do it all over again, I'm a grinder. And in my opinion, there are different kinds of entrepreneurs. I'm a grinder. So a grinding entrepreneur, we've defined it as one of our core values is work the plan. So that's why I like endurance sports. So everything I do is what's the plan. So work the plan is one of our values. It's what is the plan, set it up. We're big into starting with the end in mind and working backwards. We're huge into that seven with that trait. So we have this value. We're really good at reverse engineering. You know, you're trying to get to here. What do we need to do to get there? And I'm really good at grinding it out. What I'm not as good at, we're leaning into it more as a consulting company because we need, we need it. And because it's so important as companies as they grow, is stepping back and asking myself, I know we can get this done is it smart to even do it in the first place? And that's strategy. If I could look back on my whole life and say, I had a regret about something, it would be that I didn't take time to step back from some of the things I did, like even just a day or two off and just ask myself, I'm, I'm pretty sure I can get through this and succeed at what I'm succeeding at. Uh, and at the time, I didn't know that. I was, I was trying to, I, I thought I was answering a different question. I was answering, how do I succeed at this? If I did it all over again, I would, I would go through almost everything in business and say, is this even the right thing to be doing in the first place? Is this the right strategic thing? And I would do that with everything. So uh, is this the right business model? What is, I would start with the end in mind. As, you know, and, and the younger entrepreneurs that I see are killing it have really picked a space for a bunch of reasons, not just because they fell into it because they like doing it, because they have a picture for it. It's going to have it's going to give them an exit. It's going to give them an income. There's a bigger strategy that's involved in their life, uh, and I don't tend to do that. I tend to say, "Well, I can do that, and I can add that and make you know a couple hundred grand doing that a year." Instead of sitting back and saying, "Well, what if you 10x that? What if you ask yourself a different question? What if the target market is not right for what you're offering? What if the target market is only this side?" I owned a company called, well, I won't say the name of the company because it's still out there and I sold it and it's an amazing company. But I had this theory that it could be bigger than it was in certain areas. And that's really dangerous uh, if, you, if you have that theory because you're going to end up pushing yourself against this glass ceiling. And there's nothing wrong with that glass ceiling. You're trying to break this glass ceiling. It's unbreakable. And that could be target market. It could be addressable market. So now when we start looking, working with companies, and if I could do it all over again my, and do this whole thing again, I would say, what's my goal? my goal financial is to change the world. And I would be asking myself a lot more in the earlier days, am I doing the things that are helping me get to my bigger goal? Or am I trying to grind right now to solve this problem? And it's in front of me for the next 12 months. And, and we're doing that much more now. So we started doing that a lot more than that in my last 10 years. So just be more strategic as a whole. I wish I'd been more strategic about a lot of decisions I made in life. I wish I'd ask why. I wish I'd take time off 
not to reflect on solving problems, but to reflect on asking if they're the right things to be doing in the first place. I wish I'd done a lot more of that. And I can give you a lot of examples for that. But target markets is a great example of that. Just kind of running businesses and, and thinking I can get to this without actually asking, why do I think that? Has everybody else done that? Who's done that? What's the workload? What's the investment? Like, what is the, well, because I can do anything. Well, every entrepreneur thinks they can do anything. So now I find myself asking entrepreneurs, well, I can do that. Really? Who's done that? Nobody. Is that because they're all dumber than you or all smarter than you? It's a good <laughs> question. Right? So that's something that, uh, that's my first thing I wish I could done differently, be more strategic. In terms of the thing that, that companies need to, that's difficult as they scale, really difficult, actually, that um, is the biggest pitfall. And, you know, it depends on what size business you are. If you're, it may not affect you as much if you're one, two, or three employees, but it certainly starts to affect you as you start getting into the seven, eight, nine, ten size employees. And it affects you really bad around 15, 20, and 30, and 50, and then, and then forever on. Is, um, and I just read an article about this, actually. It really summed it up well from a buddy of mine. And it talks about the five things that could really affect the business and make it, you know, not scale. It's really in-depth scientific article. And one of the things they nailed it, and, the, and the, the thing it said was, it said, your ability to meander amongst the levels of people that you need to scale your business and how fluidly you manage that as you grow. And that's really hard to do. We've gotten better at it. We do it for a living. So we, but it's very difficult. So you're going, especially if you're a service business or your product business, you go into the business and, you know, we've gotten to the point where we don't make assumptions, but you can know after working with a company for six or nine months, this person's in the wrong seat, this person's in the wrong seat. And, the, and those things, which you can think, well, yeah, we got to fix that. If not fixed at a certain levels, the company stops completely. And people are like, well, yeah, but we're going to figure it out. No, you're not. You're not going to figure it out. In that seat, you need horsepower It looks like this. You have horsepower that looks like this. And for the record, stop beating that person up because there's nothing wrong with that person. That person's actually amazing. You're the actual idiot there. It's your fault <laughs> that they're a family. You, you keep them in that seat. You're actually preventing them from having a great career. I have done that in my own companies for 10-year spans. Uh, and and it, 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 everybody does that, right? So you know, running a $5 million business or $2 million business, nothing wrong with that. People are like, well, how how'd that stop? Well, it wasn't like the person who did $2 million wasn't trying to do $10 million. They, of course they were. But they, where'd they stop? If you give me a magic wand, I have a phenomenal business coach, and this is kind of his hack. If you give me a magic wand, you say, Eric, you have five minutes to fix my business, I would first fix your leadership team. And then I'd, I'd, and I would cut everybody in the company that everybody has ever considered cutting. I'd just cut everybody, and I'd leave. I'd say, there you go. Now you just picked up, you're going to double your business the next 12 months now. But... The ability for CEOs to manage that level of change, unless you're truly, and I have clients that are like this, um, they're the ones I always joke that, that were, or I always tell my team, I'm like, they're going to fire us by email one day because that's how they function. So unless you're really kind of at that near, I don't want to be too harsh here, I'm going to say unemotional. Unless you're really at that completely unemotional level, you know, this person if you're successful, here's the problem. That person who's now in charge of marketing, who no longer can, can reach the tall leaves at the next level, if you're successful, they've been there for three or four years. Entrepreneur tells himself, they've been there three or four years. I, 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 that's, that's my family. No, they've been there three or four years. They're phenomenal. 
who is their next boss? It's going to take this to the next size so that they can advance their career and stop listening to your nonsense about they're not doing a good enough job. Who is that person? So the ability to meander teams in and out of that scenario is how we, and I should say more importantly, the companies we work with have been able to grow from a million, two million, 10 million to 50 million. So the degree that you can do that one skill, in my opinion, and note that when you have somebody who's reached the tallest leaf and you don't go into naggy, whiny boss mode, you just know you now have to make a tough decision. So the degree that you're able to do that, in my opinion, is the degree that you will succeed in your business. But that's hard. Yeah, it's definitely hard. You, you got to be able to identify that it's a problem first, and yes. then you have to be willing to make the change, right? And and that's where most people get stuck for sure. It What you're describing actually reminds me, I mean, obviously everybody talks about, you know, right person, right seat, you know, all that sort of thing. So that's, of course, you know, you mentioned that and you mentioned um, begin with the end in mind. So then you got Stephen Covey being pulled in there. But it reminds me of, you know, from traction when you're talking about hiring employees, do they get it? Do they want it? And do they have the capacity to do it? Correct. Right. And you got to have all three. Yeah. So I was a traction implementer, uh, EOS implementer for, I don't even, I don't know, five or six years, seven years. And they ultimately, they, they did a franchise system. We rebranded as a consulting company, the better fit for us. But yeah. that concept absolutely nails it. So my in my business coach, um, awesome guy, really smart. But he's, it's funny, I say he's really smart. He's actually not that smart. Like he's, he's really good at what he does. He coaches almost, I think, 500 businesses now. Extremely good at what he does. But he has this great expression. You talk to him, you're like, how did you do this? Like, he's, you just kind of talk to him. You're like, say something genius. You ain't getting that. Like, it's not <laughs> So but what he says is the most obvious dumb things. And you're just like, Ugh. so one of the things he always says is, he say, he'll say, Eric, it just, it doesn't smell right to me. Because I'll be sitting there ramble for like an hour. Like, this person is this and that. And, He'll say, what was the result they were trying to get? This. But he'll say, I, I don't know. Doesn't, doesn't smell right. They're supposed to be doing that. Like, that's their thing. Yeah, but he's like, I don't know. And that's it. That's what he does. And he's netted this out to what is unfortunately largely correct. Now, I then, you, then there's, like, like you said, there's a thousand tools. So then I say, I go to a person, I say, we don't make assumptions. So I look at a person not getting results and I say, all right, well, they're not getting results. First, I always blame us. I always blame the organization. I think it's easier. I, think, I always blame yourself. You're the leader. You're in charge. So I blame myself. And I ask them, what are you short on? Do you know the resources? Are you paid well enough? Are you motivated? Do you like it here? Are we good bosses? Do you see a vision? Is this thing even, do you think this thing's even going to work? Like is it, or are you just trying to get a paycheck? Because they have their own little agendas, right? And, which is fine. Like they have less control. So they have their own little program they're working. I know, do you think this is going to work or are we stupid and you're collecting a paycheck? Uh, and so then we can navigate through all these questions. And I make sure we're doing our job for them. And then they can't get the results. I just say, I don't even know the answer to this. I just know you can't get the results. And then I try and find the next person. Okay. It's, uh, and I find if you start to overthink that equation or even worse, listen to them, you're going to have a problem. And then those decisions I tell clients now, I say, look, and I mean, I've seen it so many times at this point. I say, you're going to make, you are not going to cut this person 
for one year. I can usually see it. The chatter starts. It's the same kind of comments. And, and But they're closed. They love them. But they still are willing to change. So if I have a client who's really willing to change and see somebody, they kind of see the pattern. But they, they have what I call a nice organization. I say, look, you're going to cut that person in 12 months. I guarantee it. You're going to meet every quarter. You're going to talk about it. And by the ninth, third quarter, even you are going to get sick of this. And by the fourth quarter, you'll cut them. It would be nice to compress that to six months. That would be nice if we could. But if it's five quarters, I'm out of here because you're now wasting money. Yeah. That's I tell them. And uh, that's assuming we get it right. We've done all that, you know, those questions like you just said. Um, but the ability to not, the inability to make that decision is where most companies stop. Yep, it does. It comes down to leadership. I mean, that that's the reality. I would I would call that leadership where you've got to be willing to make the tough decisions at inopportune times, potentially, to be able to thrust your, your company forward. Oh, yeah. The, the whole time thing's another, another topic, right? Like then you yeah. have situations and you're like the next level is going to cost you 100 grand more. And you're like, I don't have that money. And you got all those other kinds of problems that come with it. Yeah. So. But that's it. Like that's that's the one, and um, you know, then it gets harder from there. You got to be strategically set up. It gets it's funny. It gets tough when it actually is the right team. You look at it like this is the right team, and we're still growing only by X. And then you got to ask yourself, what's the market telling us? Like, what's the market telling us out there? Is the strategy wrong? Is the offering wrong? I had a wonderful CFO, really smart guy, asked me a question once. He said, "Look, our churn is low." Our team is great. Our customers stay with us for a very long time uh, and love us. But we're only adding this many logos per year. Why is this product not flying off the shelves? And I sat there and literally in my brain, just sat there for 15 minutes and thought, that may be the smartest question I've ever actually heard anybody ask, ever. <laughs> and it was so obvious. So then it made us it made us ask, well, do we have an offering problem? Do we have a, is it, mar- is it marketing? Because our customers love us. So then it gets difficult. Then you got to think, is it marketing? Is it pricing? Is it, what do we got here? Um, And then you got to tinker with that. So it's not always the team. Sometimes it's the strategy. Um, Or sometimes it's an amazing team who's operation. That's why we pick people, operations, finance, and strategy. Usually if you can get people, operations, finance, and strategy dialing in, you can scale. Um, Operations alone, I tell people all the time, operations alone ain't going to do it. Like it's going to get you somewhere but it's not going to launch you. In fact, a lot of amazing companies don't run that well. So you got to really dial in your strategy in the marketplace. But if I had to have a cheat sheet, it would just be focused on the people. And that's it. If you're a 10 person company, you don't have senior leaders and you're thinking this is the dumbest guest ever. Cause I only got eight people here, five people working for me. It's the same thing. It's it's if the five are amazing, then you should be scaling if you want to. And if you don't want to, then congratulations, you've already won the game. But um, it's the same principle, whether you're five company, five people or whether you're at, you know, 700 people. It's just, it's the same question. Yep. Yep. No doubt about it. Well, I feel like we've covered a lot of uh, important things, Eric. Like I said, at the beginning of the the episode, I think that we're, uh, you know, kindred spirits. We're kind of working in the same area with some crossover, some that's a little different, some that's not. And it's, uh, it, it's all fun, right? I mean, the reality is we serve small and medium-sized business owners that really drive the economy in our country we're both yep. small business owners as well. And so yes. we get to participate in it and serve those businesses, which is, you know, the best of all worlds, if you ask me. I, I could not agree with you more. I could not agree with you more. I, I uh, 
it's funny. I was I was uh, going to go into finance in my life, and I live in a town with, with everybody's in finance. Uh, and for a long time, I I, uh, I thought I should go into finance. I love I love the whole area, and probably until I was in my 30s. And then when I got in my 30s, and especially now, I look back and I don't. I don't, I'm all, first of all, I'm, un, I'm unemployable. Like, I don't know how anybody would ever employ me. I'd be the worst employee ever. But I don't know another life other than being an entrepreneur. I'm very grateful. I'm extremely grateful to my team members who work for us that um, they even work for us, period. Like, that's extremely humbling. And then for our clients, that's like really humbling. Um, so it's, uh, I, I could not agree with you more. Um, yeah. Quite, quite a, quite a, quite a, quite a journey, and and, uh, and quite an honor to be surrounded by the people. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the conversation, Eric. Let's wrap it up by you letting people know how to get in touch with you if they have need for the consulting services that you offer, and, and best way to get in touch with you. With you, for you can that. go to our website, cruisingco.com, and poke around on there, and you can find all kinds of buttons to, to reach somebody. Where you can just reach out to me, and I'm Eric at cruisingco.com. Uh, but our website's got all kinds of people you can talk to and meet, and, and but or you can reach out to me. So we'll, we'll talk to you. And we are a help first company. I'm sure I can tell just like you are. Um, we started as volunteers many years ago before we started doing this. So if you want to just talk because you need help or you want to dive into any of this stuff, uh, myself or one of my team members will do it. And we won't try and sell you anything. Uh, we love entrepreneurs and whatever we can do to help. We just try to be able to help us constantly. And whatever we can do to help, we certainly will. Okay. Appreciate it, Eric. Really look forward to staying in touch with you. Awesome. Thank you, Austin. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, a podcast for small business owners by small business owners. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Arizona time for an introduction to another great tycoon. And be sure to follow us on our social media channels for links to all of our episodes and great content.